0: Good evening Dandy. welcome to undetermined the podcast
1: Nice nice to uh, hear your voice in person such as it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> As close as we can get
2: for the moment. yeah yeah It'd be awfully hard to string some cans that far. <laughs> yeah we'd love to though I'm gonna get over that way you'd be very welcome yeah uh, well I went to your country yeah sort of uh, went to the republic anyway oh did you yeah when When, when, when was that uh, 96 1996 oh that was a while back oh yeah yeah. very
1: different country in that time it's changed a lot
2: yeah I was in the south I was uh, in Kinsale on uh, honeymoon oh
1: that's awesome yeah my, my, my brother used to live in Kinsale. Oh, in really? Cork, yeah? yeah. Yeah. Cork's a great city too. I love it there. Yeah, yeah. that's where my mother's family are from. They're from that county. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, I have a lot of connections down there. know the place very well. Nice.
2: You're in the north now, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: were you born there? Yeah, well, I was actually born in London. Oh, okay. Um, my, mo- m- my mother and father were immigrants into London. Okay, you know, as a lot of Irish did, they they left in the sixties. There wasn't much. uh, Ireland was a very impoverished country at that time, and (laughs) right. So a lot of people left, and one of the places that they a lot of them went to was London, and they met there. So my my father's from here, where I live now, in the north, Uh and my mother was from Cork, and they met and they got married. They had me, then they came
0: home.
1: Uh, Uh, we were supposed to go to they were going to emigrate to Australia, Uh and uh. They, they came home to say goodbye to my father's family and my mother fell in love with the place. And she said, she said she wants to stay here. So that's why I ended up here uh-huh. instead of Australia, which I'm glad about because I love it here. You know?
0: <laughs> We've got friends, both places.
1: Mm. Oh yeah. In Australia I, don't mean to, I don't mean to offend any Australians. I'm sure. Oh, well. no, no,
2: no, no. Uh,
0: sure Australians. Home is home.
1: Home is home. Yeah. 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 That's it. Although in the North at the time, at that time it was, uh, you know the the the, the troubles were on the the war thing and yeah, yeah. so it was a very it was a very messy situation but uh, still nonetheless it's, it's it's home you know mm-hmm.
2: yeah we were even told in the 90s you know uh when we were visiting the republic they're like I want to stay out of Belfast still it's a, <laughs> yeah a little bit dicey but i mean you grew yeah. up there uh i guess then in the 80s probably uh yeah I'm guessing
1: yeah yeah yeah. The 70s 80s i remember you know even the place i live now is where i grew up i mean like the literal street mm. Uh well a state we call them states but um uh-huh. i don't know what the american equivalent of that is but i know that you have them <laughs> um yeah uh you know i remember the british army and the, the the ira having shootouts in the street as a kid you could hear them fighting at night and holy shit yeah yeah and yeah uh, you know, you would you would just as a kid you would be out in your bike, your bicycle, and you'd be going around the corner, and you just see all this this riot would just be happening, just, and you're like, "Oh shit, oh all Jesus!" It,
0: was there like a lot of pressure to take a side or or anything like that at the time? Well, th- this, that, th- that's a part of the problem.
1: And um, the side is actually built in because if you're a Catholic, you're on one side, and if you were a Protestant, you were on the other. Now that has changed a lot, mm-hmm. thankfully. But um, you know, if you were a Catholic, I I, I was born, I'm not a Catholic, I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore, but mm-hmm. so I would be what would be, would have been the Irish side. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a Protestant, you would have been the pro-British side. Uh-huh. So and it goes back, I don't even want, it, it's so boring and long, but it goes back like uh-huh. 800 years, you know, and yeah, there's, there's lots of historical precedent and reasons as to why those... The, 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 the divisions were drawn along those lines. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so the, you, you you sort of were on a side, whether you liked it or not.
0: Uh, right. It wasn't about where you lived. It was about how you were born. Well, uh, th- that as well. So all Catholics, you, the, the country
1: was is, it was ghettoized. Mm. So all Catholics lived together, and then all Protestants lived together, and quite often, never the twins shall meet. Mm-hmm. You know, people would go large parts of their, their, their lives, their, their working lives, their daily lives, and they would never, you know, they would never have any interaction with people on the so-called other side of the bar. It was actually, if you boil it down to its real core, it's a, it's just a classic divide and rule situation is what it was. Yeah. You know, which is being committed, it's committed by governments and interests all over the world still to this day. You know, you divide the people along class lines, race lines, gender lanes. Sure. Whatever. And uh, you know, it's it, it's just that and, but it was it was a, a big big version of that, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty typical of the imperialist uh, ideal then, you know. Mm. Just uh, now it reminds me of Rwanda and the idea of the Hutu and the Tutsis, you know. Y- yes. The Dutch coming in there and basically looking at this all same race of African people and saying, you know, well, this is a different strain of African person and this is a different strain. <laughs> <Right. genre." laughs> These are ours, yeah. Yeah. right?
1: Yeah, but that, that's exactly the same. I mean, the, the the British did that in India as well. You know, yeah, they've done it everywhere. They did it. You know, they, they would, as you said, it's the, it's a part of the imperial imperialist um, strategy and game plan. They go in and they point and said this. Get they, they go and find a division. They go who which tribal or which clan. Right, You know, uh, he has a beef with this guy, so they'll go and 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 then one of the things that they also did was they would overarm one. They would arm one side, Uh which creates uh, an arms race among. And and so they're busy having an arms race, fighting themselves. Meanwhile, they're looting your country. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) right. (laughs)
0: That's classic, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. That's it's just just all that shit, you know. It's not, it's still going on. I suppose the good thing for me personally is that whenever I see it happening in other places, I'm immediately able to identify it for what I believe that it is, you know. Yeah, and I tend not to get too sucked into, you know. I think I think I'm able to see around the corner with a lot of these things
2: now. Right? Yeah. 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 It, it took me a while to come to that realization, too, just after studying history in college and even for America. It's like, uh, we'd like to think that, you know, we defeated the British in the war. and Yeah. And- there was a lot more of them just saying, you know what? It's a lot easier just to let these people rule themselves and take all their money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, it's a pain in the ass to go like three weeks across the ocean. Every time we got to send an army over there, they are like, fuck it. Just let them, you know, rule themselves. We'll just tax the shit out of them. Yeah. Which, you know, it's kind of brilliant, really. Evil, but brilliant. Yeah. Evil, but brilliant. Yeah. Well, it really is from their perspective. It must
1: be, you, you know, you you have to give them credit. It works, mm-hmm. and they have it down pat. They know exactly how to do it. Oh yeah, they they're also a thing that this that they they're able to do that we don't give them. Well, I'm, I don't want to use the word credit, but mm-hmm. you don't get. Um, I'm going to that we should give them credit for. Is they're very very patient, mm-hmm. yeah. and they're they're able to wait decades for results. Yeah, you know in the long game
0: generations yeah
1: yeah really i don't know i don't, I don't, I don't know what the answer to it is <laughs> it
0: just, <laughs> oh no 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 it's just interesting to talk about you know mm. and i'm sure it's probably uh less interesting for you to talk about living through it as you do than it is for us to hear about it here. oh
1: well the thing that i am happy to, to to be able to observe in my time is that the divided society that I grew up in doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So we had the Good Friday Agreement, yeah, in '96, and that brought the peace. The IRA had this this uh, ceasefire, and then there was we set up our own parliament here in Belfast, mm-hmm. along with all the other devolved. So Scotland and Wales did the same, and Northern Northern Ireland and the North of Ireland did the same, and we were able to mostly make our own decisions and rule ourselves. But there is still there is still a very a significant pro-British portion of the of of, of our population, mm. but the issue that they have is that they've lost the argument. You know, people are just no, we want to reunify. Yeah, and it, although it, so we're we're pushing for a border poll in 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 the north of Ireland at the minute to try and get a, a referendum on that, uh-huh. and it looks like you know the pro-union side are going to get beat with that especially on an all island basis so if the, the referendums won't be held on an all island basis oh wow but also in the north is going to have their own one the idea being that us in the north will get to make a vote in that referendum if we get a 50 plus one percent mm-hmm. of the the vote then it will go to the all island basis and then the all island it will be it will pass it as all polls since forever have and there's there's no um there's no indication that there, any result would be any different. Uh, all polls have indicated strongly that they want to reunify. Huh? But the problem with the, with the pro british side has been, was also a part of that thing, a Brexit thing, you know, it took the UK out of the European Union. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That really fucked off a lot of people, because also in the north of Ireland here, we voted in that, being a part of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And we voted against that. Indeed. Right. But we got taken out of it against our will. Hmm. Because the English decided they want, and Scotland was the same, and the, the English decided that they wanted out of the European Union. Right. So what what, what the English wanted, the English got. Yeah. But what we wanted, we never got. But we, us pro-Irish, uh, as Irish people that want to reunify, we've been saying, that's a part of our argument for years is, you know, listen, we, we can't keep second we are second class citizens within the united kingdom and we need to be able to rule ourselves and that's not to say that there isn't corruption in dublin in the dublin government and there isn't bad sure. politics there is of course there is but we can't do anything about that right in england in in, in westminster there's nothing i can do that will affect boris johnson's decision making <laughs> right <laughs> you know what i mean but yeah. but if my local politician who is traveling up and down to Dublin and I know who he is and I can go and contact him direct. And we do have that version here. We have politicians here that do, you know, that they're MPs and they go to Westminster, but it's fucking pointless. It's literally, it's They don't do anything. They don't, they're ignored, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can see them being ignored and we've got eyes, we've got ears. We know what's happening. Right. And the Brexit referendum brought that home for a lot of people. A lot of people realised, and young people especially, yeah. they, they 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 sort of went, oh, "Fuck that! I, I don't want to be out of the European Union. I love Europe. Mm-hmm. I love being able to travel around Europe as a European citizen." Mm-hmm. And that was being taken from them, you know. So, so yeah, so. I, I think it's going to change. So that's what I mean to say. Is I'm glad that I'm able to see that in my lifetime. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might.
0: I think I may see a, a reunified Ireland. Wow. I wondered, like I really did, with the whole Brexit thing, and I, I wondered, like, what's going on with Ireland? Yeah. And all of this.
1: Well, we got rightly fucked. We really did. I mean, oh. even I remember back. Well, well, the British Prime Minister, David Cameron, was the one that announced that he was going to have this bre- Brexit referendum. Mm-hmm. That was a, the Tory party is a right-wing conservative party in England, uh-huh. in the United Kingdom. Right. That was a response to a potential civil war within his own party. So there's a really, really right-wing group called the ERG, the European Research Group. Uh-huh. They're Tories, and they really push everything within the Tory party rightwards. Mm. whereas Cameron himself would have been a more centrist right-winger, if you know what I mean. Right. So in a response to sort of appease those guys, he decided to allow for this much-clamoured-for Brexit referendum against the advice of everybody who had a brain. He said, you know, you didn't, this isn't a good idea. But to make it even worse, they didn't prepare for it at all. Mm. The campaign they ran was very, very poor. Whereas the the the, the pro leave campaign was very energetic, invigorated, and well funded, mm-hmm. and then even back then, the Irish Prime Minister at the time was a guy called Enda Kenny, and he was advising David Cameron about the issue with the border in Ireland because it's a I don't know if you I don't know if I'm explaining this. to you, and you already know it? But maybe some of your listeners don't understand. Yeah, the border in Ireland, the north between the north and the south, the south is in the EU. If UK leaves the EU, that creates a border, another border within the EU, mm-hmm. across which goods and people can pass. Mm-hmm. So, the pro Brexit people wanted to put an actual hard border, yeah, hard border, as in like you know a border with custom, customs control and all this, you know, with aid, uh, customs officers, and checking mm-hmm. your bags and all this. Now. Yep you'd say, well, what, what, that, that's what happens at borders. You know, with The last time that happened at a border in Ireland, well, so good. it started a fucking war. right? <laughs> so this is what Enda Kenny way back then was warning about. We know, okay, you can have, if you're going to have your referendum, you need to have in place what's going to happen in Ireland yeah. if the UK decides to leave. Right. Because it will create a problem. And even after they left, it was unbelievable. Even after they left, It wasn't until a year, whenever they left, then they had two years to get everything ready, and then they were out. It was until they had a year left that they started to deal with the Irish border, and it was never mentioned in the media. It was never mentioned in the press. No one was talking about it in England, in the UK. But in Ireland, we were screaming about it, but no one was fucking listening. Hmm. Now it's become a huge problem.
2: Yeah, we faced uh, something similar, I mean, uh, under fucking donald trump you know with the uh, yeah the wall in mexico it's like Holy you know there's americans we, we kind of know that those walls aren't a good look no uh for anything they, they never tend to fare well in any situation i and i was just agog at how many people were in support of that yeah they were like you know maybe i learned nothing from history here I don't know what it is, but it seems like it's
0: a far right trait to really come up with like these really big wedge issues and get people really all puffed up and inflamed and just angry about bullshit issues. Yeah, and then you know they'll they'll ride on that and then they pass these huge votes and then well, what do we actually do? <laughs> yeah, right? Right? It's all about yeah. we haven't got a plan. We, our plan was to get the vote. Our, we never made any plan for what to do after we got the vote. Right. Yeah, but. All the while, again,
1: it, back to my point: the, 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 the division, the, the nature of divide and conquer. Mm. All the while, you're getting your pocket picked.
0: Right, sure.
1: That's you know. So while this big wall thing's happening over here, say for example, as an issue, they're passing legislation that is removing money from the working class, removing rights from the working class. Rem- you know, the, the normal working man and woman in the street, there are in in the UK. There's been so many things happen with Boris Johnson's and his horrible government, but all the while they're passing legislation that is undermining your health care, undermining your rights, Mm -hmm. your your working rights, all these things that were fought for by your fathers and your grandfathers over decades. Yep, sounds familiar. Exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And all the while they're passing these things, but everyone's arguing about the fucking wall or the war or the other thing that's happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, big red herring. Yeah, but uh, pun intended, I guess. Backpedaling, you're riding your bike. <laughs> uh, you're riding your bike in Belfast, seventies, eighties. Yeah. Well, well, how'd you come across rock and roll? What was your uh, big kick?
1: Well, I was. I, was saying, I think I was, saying, I was saying to Matt earlier on, uh, just before you started recording, that I I grew up watching American TV, mm. and. I would watch the Beverly Hillbillies and the Adams Family and oh, yeah. Flash Gordon serials and watch these things on a Saturday, every Saturday morning, watch the, mm-hmm. these programs. And then just you know, later on, Starsky and Hutch in the evening. And yeah. I grew up watching all these things. And one of the big things was the Elvis Presley movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, watching those as a kid. Yeah. And it just sort of became ingrained in my, I think in my psyche, that the rock guy with the guitar the, the iconography of that stayed with me. I think yeah. And at home, we were listening, my mom, my mom and dad would listen to a lot of country music at mm-hmm. Charlie Pride and yeah, and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, there was a bit of soul as well. So Otis Redden and uh, Ray Charles and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I asked to learn to play the guitar. So I got sent to guitar lessons, <clears throat> a, a local uh, school teacher lady around here, Fra McCann, her name was, So I I started going to lessons and I just, I just loved it. I wasn't very good at it, Mm -hmm. but I loved it deeply. Sure. And I loved as a kid, maybe pretending. And I I remember, uh, you know, the pretending to be a guitar, a guitar God or a guitar player. and I must have been trying to copy Elvis. I must have been. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad coming into the room in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. two in the morning and taking the guitar from me. He said, son you have to go to sleep you know? <laughs> but, but, right you know i would wake up in the middle of the night and i would lift my guitar and, and i'm like I'm nine years of age you know and, and i remember lying in my bed writing songs about driving a big truck in america and things like that <laughs> you know about being a trucker in america like, you know i didn't know i'm a big truck driving man or something
0: like that <laughs> right and yeah. uh so it was it was just that
1: you know
2: yeah
0: Well, for what it's worth, I'm 50 and I still pretend to be a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Yep. Do the same thing in my living room. Yep. Mm. Still do it. Yeah. Uh, When did you start your first band
1: then? I started my first band when I was in my, uh, I I was a bit of a late starter, maybe 22, 23, but I was in a band at school. Mm -hmm. I was in a band at, at, you know, in in high school.
2: Okay. It was
1: the the local sort of this, uh, you know, a band of Smiths. Yeah. Of course, and the, the the local sort of um, little clouds of doom mm. that would wander the school hallways, trying to, <laughs> yeah. b, b, you know, <laughs> emulate Morrissey and obsessed by Morrissey. And mm. uh, but I wasn't that. I I was very much not that. Right. And the guy Terry, he, I remember him coming. He says, "Will you come and play bass in our band?" And I didn't know how to play a bass. I didn't even really know what a bass was. Huh. And um, I must have must have been fourteen, something like that. Thirteen, maybe 13, thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And he said, what what songs is he playing? Oh, we're basically just sort of a Smiths. we were just going to do Smiths songs. <laughs> and I didn't like the Smiths. And I went, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it anyway. And I ended up loving the Smiths. I grew to love the Smiths. Yeah, I, 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 I became a uh, an ardent fan very quickly. Hmm. So we did that. We never played any gigs. We just rehearsed and uh, we would invite girls to come and watch us. And
0: Of course. Wow.
1: Yeah. But it wasn't until maybe 22, 23, something like that. It was sort of Mm post-grunge. And I started a band called Coda. Yeah. And we did, uh, it was all original music. I wrote everything. It was my first foray into that, being in a band and writing
2: all this stuff. And,
1: Mm -hmm. And it was good. It was a good formative experience, you know?
2: Yeah do you think the blues was always there or was that just something grew and appreciate more and more you think?
1: Well, the, I t- I'll tell you what happened with the blue again. Um, you know, I, I love, I love TV and cinema uh-huh. uh, and, um, I watched a film called, I'm sure you remember it called Crossroads. Oh yeah. With yeah. Ralph, yeah. Mac- with Ralph Macchio. Macchio. Yeah. Steve and Steve I, I, was I was the that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With that amazing finale. I was just, it still mm-hmm. stares with me. I watched it not so long ago and it it holds up. It's a good film still. Yeah,
0: I haven't watched that in how long? Oh, a long time. Maybe I should.
1: Yeah, it's it's. It, it, I was prepared to be sort of going. Oh Jesus, this is fucking terrible. But it's not. It's it's not bad. But um, I remember watching it, and the thing that stayed with me was the story about Robert Johnson. Mm. And yeah. I was I was still a good Catholic boy going to going to mass and observing holy days and doing all these things as everybody did around here at the time. Mm. So the story of him selling his soul to the devil kind of haunted me, <clears throat> and I became sort of a little bit obsessed with that story. Yeah, but I'd never heard his, I'd never heard his music other than the any covers that were in the movie. Ah. I didn't he probably didn't even realize that it was him. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not even a hundred percent certain that I realized that it was a real person. Yeah, Robert it, Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Because there wasn't, I you know, around here where I live, no one's playing blues. You know, it wasn't, it, certainly not to a uh, 14 year old boy who's still going to school. Yeah. But I left uh, here when I was 16. I went to go to work in England mm-hmm. and I went into a local library and I started going through books and uh, uh, music <coughs> history books. And there was a book called Blues and Soul and I took it out and I started to flip. There, and By then I was listening to a lot of soul and jazz. And I was, was listening to a lot of Dixieland jazz and soul music. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard some blues music. Mm. Uh, and I got to the, there was a page on Robert Johnson and a picture of him. And it blew my fucking mind. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I read the story. The story was the same story that was in the, in the film. Yeah, I was still going to, to, to mass every Sunday. You know, and the idea that something, it literally haunted me. You could sell your immortal soul. And then a a question crossed my mind, and it was, would I do the same? Mm. (laughs) Would I
2: do it? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've I've thought the same thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, the mythology is so interesting about it. It's just we don't really know a lot. I mean, there's only like a handful of photos of the guy in, in mm. the first place. Don't know a lot about his story. He did just kind of disappear for yeah. about a year.
0: Right. He was like a mediocre player. Then he disappeared and then came back like the genius. Yeah. It was like Jesus going out into the wilderness, you know, yeah. just going, <laughs>
1: you know, and it, it, you know, there, there's, a, you can draw these parallels. So, uh, you know, I'm a practicing Catholic. And so these, these things are, are obvious to me. And I, yeah. I came up, so I got a I got a cassette tape out of the same library of, of him. And it was a there was a box set by Eric Clapton as well <clears throat> um, called Crossroads. I don't know if you <laughs> remember it, it was it was it was a like yeah. yeah yeah so like a four album thing and I got it
0: Going to the
1: yeah that that would have been the only blues music I had heard sure. I would say I'd maybe heard a little bit of maybe something like Howlin' Wolf or Muddy Waters or sure. you know like the theme they, they used one of their like boom boom John Lee Hooker on a Levi's advert or something like that uh-huh. that 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 would have been what I'd heard whatever it was out there in in popular culture I would have heard Cream I would have heard a little bit of clapping and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I did love it. I did like it, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was, you know? Yeah. I took the Robert Johnson cassette and I went, I listened to it and I immediately, I just became obsessed with the man. But if I'm being honest, I wasn't even sure that I liked it because I, the sound was so foreign to my ears. Mm. They've been remastered and cleaned up now, so they're much cleaner. But back then, they would have been really, really wobbly and they would have sounded like they were recorded sometime in the 20s, you know, or the 30s. Mm-hmm. And there were, but you could hear enough to go, What is this? Yeah. I just became obsessed. And so, but it was the legend of them that started my, you know.
2: Right. Yeah. I was looking into the legend of, well, I'm just listening to your uh, uh, cover of Poor Boy. Yeah. Mm hmm. And it's like that's that's still fascinating to me when you look at just the roots of the history of that song. It's like written by who nobody knows yeah uh, <laughs> it you know, goes yep. back to pre world War I as far as they know, yeah, it's just kind of like folk and roots music that they have no I mean you can you can attribute early recordings of it, uh, you know for sure, yeah. Hal yeah. Wolf and others, but yeah uh yeah, just it's amazing to me that it's just it's still within the last couple of centuries and nobody has a you know nobody has a writer it it is amazing but you find that you find out
1: with lots of native cultures we we have we actually have that in Ireland as well because mm-hmm. the, the 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 celts it was an oral tradition,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all oral, nothing was written down, but you see that all across the world, Native American culture, um, Ab- Australian Aboriginal culture, First Nations culture, nothing gets written down. The problem then happens when the imperialist comes along and starts fucking you up. Right. You've got no record of your culture, so you're divided from your culture. Mm-hmm. If you're divided from your culture, how do you fight back? What are you fighting for? Yeah.
0: You know. Right, you don't even know. Yeah. That's interesting. Did you find like any, I don't know if resistance is the right word, but when you decide you're going to make blues music or blues based music, Hmm. how was that accepted where you're at? Oh, it's fine.
1: Here, no, it's great. by, By the time I got to, you know, do the Bonnevilles, I mean... No, I don't mean to say that there wasn't blues music here. There was. It's just I wasn't hearing it. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard it. You know, Rory Gallagher obviously is, is Irish and and he was a huge star and well admired and loved. And mm-hmm. um, there was lots of blues bands, blues cover bands playing and all that sort of. But it wasn't n- not not where I was. Not 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 to me. Mm-hmm.
0: You bring in some punk sensibilities. Yeah, that's I
1: mean that's deliberate. I, lo- I love that, and it makes me feel less of a fraud <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: i i think that's um a lot of people actually do that and it's interesting to see just kind of the places that punk kind of has managed to squeeze itself into we're, we're good friends with uh an artist here his name's william elliott whitmore and he he's a folk artist but he definitely has a punk rock background too yeah and you can really feel it and hear it in yeah. a lot of his songs yeah I, I, I think that's fantastic,
1: though, whenever you get, you know, one of the big, um, inf- well, yeah, I would say influences when it comes to that punk crossover. Maybe that's the wrong word, but um, here in Ireland would be the Pogues. Mm. You know, the, the what they did with Irish music by bringing in that London punk element and that attitude, you know, it was it very much, you no, know, fuck it, this is what we're doing. And my God, what they did with it was just, it was revolutionary.
0: Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I was just listening to that Pogues record a couple of days ago.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Course, it was St. Patrick's Day, so we always. It was St.
0: Patrick's Day, so <laughs> it felt like a <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. day. Throw on the The day where everybody in America is Irish for a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's yeah. a,
1: a light. That's fine.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we find a lot of that, a lot of people we talk talked to, we've talked to people who are former, you know, death metal players, uh, you know, they played uh, industrial music, everything else, and have gravitated more towards folk and roots uh, and blues. Uh, as they mature,
1: yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think that's common enough. I think that's worldwide. Mm-hmm. Here, um, there's a lot of, a lot of ex-punks get into, you know, rockabilly and, uh, you know, country music
0: and folk music and things like that. It's, I think that's,
1: yeah. I don't know why, but it's a thing.
0: I think it lends itself more to storytelling than a lot of other
2: mediums. Aye, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the name, uh, Bonneville. So, I mean, I've heard the story, I don't need to you know belabor that, uh, where oh. you came up with it, but uh, from the Bonneville Salt Flats, right? Yes, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you were into uh, like the land speed record and racing, and things like that. When you were younger.
1: I love that. When I was a kid, I remember reading books about uh, there was a guy in England called Donald Campbell, mm-hmm. he was a very famous he died um, trying to go for the 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 water record and a. In a oh. In a boat in England, um, it flipped on him, and there's footage of it, it's, yeah. it's quite spectacular. Oh. But he was a big hero, he was one of these, I think he was like a World War Two pilot or something. And you know, of course, then they ended up in, in America, they all went on to become hot rodders. And I think in England, they all went to do the, the land speed record, but uh, and things like that. But he, um, he was very admired, so he was sort of an English hero and we got a lot of English te- television and stuff so I knew all about him. <sighs> uh, a car called Bluebird, big, you know, and big aer- aerodynamic thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so he held the land speed record for a long time. But then uh, the American guys started to do it. and to, or, Well, they were probably doing it at the time but they, they were winning it then. And the cars got so fast then th- th- there's a place in Wales called Pendine, Pendine Beach, and that's where they used to do it. But the cars got so fast, in the record because, you know, back then three hundred mile an hour was the record. You know, right? <sighs> over the course of I don't know a decade, it's up to five or six hundred miles an hour. So
0: <laughs> holy shit!
1: Yeah. So the 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 the, the beach isn't long enough. Uh-huh.
2: Ah, yeah, mm, so yeah. it
1: goes to the natural place, the place that they find is. The Bonneville South Flats. Yeah. And then all the American guys were winning it and, and taking and it. Was It was a golden era in the 60s of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I still kind of get a little bit nostalgic when I think about it. But yeah, so that's where the name
2: comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to go out there. It just looks like a, such a surreal place to, you know, yeah. to ruin a moonscape. Yeah. Uh, it would be, be a Great shot for a video for you guys. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah <it laughs> wouldn't back it. over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just reading about a little bit about uh, uh Burt Monroe again. I was just thinking about watching that. Uh,
0: that's a Office great little Yeah,
2: that uh World's Fastest Indian. World's Fastest it? Indian, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That, that yeah. was a great one, yeah? He yeah. still holds the record. That's right, uh, yeah. From 19- 1967. Really? Yeah, uh that's when the record was. Wow. And the bike was like a 20s. You know, remodded yeah. in, bored out. Jesus. Yeah. And still nobody's topped him. That's crazy. Uh, for, the, for that particular class, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah the yeah. motorcycles, yeah. like uh, a yeah. 100,000cc.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he was obviously well ahead of his time, and he knew what he was doing. If that record
2: has stood that long. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of his relatives or uh, sons or nephews or something, uh there's Lee Monroe, maybe. Uh, made a new Indian bike in about 2017, I want to say. Uh, it's a killer looking bike.
1: Oh, hmm. is, is he trying to
2: do it as well? Yeah, he's trying to do it uh, and try to break it. But he still hasn't been able to break. It. <laughs> oh, uh, fucking hell! Uh, with, a, with, a, with a new, yeah, with a new Indian. So, but yeah, they dumped a whole bunch of. It was like the Spirit of Monroe or something. Is the Indian yeah. bike? You should, you should check it out. It's a Beautiful looking machine.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's that's that's. Brilliant! That's right up my street. I like that. Nice.
2: So when did you uh, when did you meet Chris? Must have
1: met Chris around two thousand eight, maybe. He was playing in a little garage rock band uh, in the neighbouring town here called the Childish Thoughts, and they were really good. They were really really fun. It was a fun band, but um, they asked me would I come and play bass for them. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd just been in another band with another guy, and it was very stressful. He was—he wasn't a particularly pleasant person. I, I, sorry, <laughs> we didn't get on very well. Let me say that. And we had sure a bit not. of a we, we had a bit of a fallout. We tried to make it work, and we went and toured a bit and did things, and wasn't we weren't able to make it work for for various reasons. But when they asked me to play the Childish Thoughts, I just thought this is exactly what I need because those guys would turn up um, in rehearsal and they would just they would, it would be like a smoke machine and lights and they yeah. just smoke dope and drink beer and just jam for fucking hours on the one riff. And I went, and we'd go to gigs and we would get fucking pissed what? and just be as wild as garage punk as we wanted to be. And there was, there was no pressure to be good. And it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it was exactly what I needed. And uh, I did that. I did that for six months, but Chris was drumming in the band. Mm mm-hmm. So I then decided that I wanted to carry, because I'd written a bunch of good songs for this other two-piece. And I I thought, I don't want to let this go. Yeah. I want to do something with these songs. So I decided that I would I would try and find another drummer. So I knew a couple of guys, and I asked them, and we went and played a few shows, and we kind of stomp, fumbled through them. It was okay. Mm-hmm. But they weren't very good, and they weren't, they weren't really up to the job. hmm but Chris was playing in the, the, the thoughts and, but he was also playing in a, you know what drummers are like it's playing you know, a drummer plays in about 50 fucking bands, right? Right. So I was kind of going, I don't want to ask Chris because he's so busy. Right. But I, one of the things that I'd done with the band, for, so I, I sort of laid out my manifesto, if you like, for what I'm doing with this band. And one of the things that I said was, we're never playing for free and everybody's getting paid. Mm. Uh, so right from our first gig, our first gig, we got paid. Nice, and I, I'm we managed to maintain that all the way through. So, but and, and I would advise any other band if they can, if if that's possible, to try and do that because it, it sort of puts you in a different space. So I said to Chris, "Listen, would you come and fill in for me? This other guy isn't fucking working out, and um, there's three or four shows here, mm-hmm. and you'll get paid. You know, you get a hundred quid, well, but hundred and twenty dollars, 130 thirty dollars, something like that." hmm and um he was delighted he was like yeah fuck it's great let's do that so we learned the song he learned the songs real quick and that was it we never left and then it was years later we were being interviewed on the radio on the bbc and someone asked that question and chris um he says do you know you have never officially asked me to join the band
0: <laughs> <laughs> i said oh, so it's still a
1: trial no i said okay <laughs> yeah. live on the radio live on the BBC do you want to be in the Bonnivals? we done two albums at the time <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: you know and uh, yeah. yeah chris is chris is an amazing person he's one of my he's one of my favorite people in the world yeah and, awesome. yeah i'm very very lucky and the type of person that he is he's exactly the person that balances me if you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, I i am a certain way i have certain you know as we all do certain traits and affectations and character flaws and character, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and Chris is the guy that balances that out. So the things that we, we run the band as a business. So it, you know, it's literally everything's split 50, 50, but Chris is the guy that's able to make that happen because the, I'm not very good at that stuff, mm-hmm. but Chris is,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and, and so the, our personalities work, Together and our right. own personal sort of uh, uh traits
0: balance each other out. You know, your yeah. musical traits balance each other pretty well too. I'd imagine, like in a two band group, that you'd have to have a really good uh, balance, yeah, for it to work.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, Chris comes from a heavy metal background, so that was his first thing. He still is. You know, he still he plays in he plays in a heavy metal band called Cursed Sun <laughs> in Belfast. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, they're fantastic. They have, a, they have a couple of records out. So he, I mean, he loves metal. I mean, that's his, that's his first love, but with him, he'll tell you himself, um, you know, when, when he got into the, ch- when he was asked to go into the Childish Thoughts and then, and then he joined the Bonnevilles, became the, we became the Bonnevilles, all the records that we were listening to, it open his musical education up. He'll say that himself. Mm-hmm. you know. So he, Chris is a is a raconteur when it comes to music now. He listens to absolutely everything. He devours music. Yeah. You know, he can, he can talk about blues and garage punk and metal as well as anyone, you know, mm-hmm. and anything else. Right on.
0: Was it always intended to be
1: a two-man group? Yeah. Like I said, I was in that other, the the band before uh, the Childish Thoughts, it was a two piece and it was, it was drums and guitar. I wasn't really convinced that I was able to pull it off, Mm -hmm. but the other guy, to give him his credit, he, he, you know, he's a big guy called Tommy Malloy, amazing drummer, absolutely one of the best drummers I've I've ever seen. But uh, he, he was convinced that we could pull it off and that I could pull it off. You know, it's a lot if you're in a two piece, there's a lot of pressure on both people there's there's nowhere to hide right so i wasn't absolutely sure i was able to do it Mm. and it wasn't until i wrote a song called army of one which was on our first record Mm. the bonneville's first record it wasn't until i wrote that that was the first sort of song i wrote Uh, for the two piece i went this is okay you know this this might work and it was it was that but Tommy was the guy that sort of was he was pushing us to do the two piece thing. I even brought another friend of mine in, Declan Fenan, to come in and play bass with us mm-hmm. when we were rehearsing. I was on with Tommy. I don't want to do the two piece. I'm not sure. Let's try the bass thing. And we tried it, and it, you know, Declan didn't really. He, he, I don't think he really wanted to do it. And Tommy definitely didn't want him to do it. Yeah. So uh, so we, we we pushed on as a two piece, and we played some we played some gigs, and we did we did a couple of little short tours. Uh, over in Europe and stuff and but we weren't, our personalities we weren't able to make it work, you know mm-hmm. so then, by the, as I said by the time we split up I wanted to do the two piece so then going into the thoughts fucking around for six months going, okay, listen, I'm not ready to stop this two piece because I felt like I was just, con- I just convinced myself that I was able to do it when I walked away from it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so there was that element of it but then the two piece thing as well the, the other aspect of it is, you know, it's it's a more practical and, and rather boring thing. It's cheaper. Yeah. And it's it's easy to just, at the, especially when you start out, you just throw your shit in the back of a car and away you fucking go and that's it. Right. You don't have to hire vans or buy vans or tour buses. None of have ever had a tour bus, but, you know, big, we, we do hire big vans now, but we can do that. We can afford to do that now. But when you're starting out, so it allows you that space, to get out there and at the end of the day if we're going out and we're playing a show for 200 200 quid or 200 euros mm-hmm. you're walking away with a day's pay after you know you're getting 100 100 quid each mm-hmm. which which is what a, a guy working on a building site max yeah. you're getting you know you might be spending a
2: 10 10 pound on fuel yeah right yeah as, a, as opposed to splitting that with like nine cats in a, in a funk supergroup or something. Fucking, right. <laughs> I, they're
1: still only getting 200 quid. Right. right. You, you know, so then you, you start to go, well, this is okay. This is good. And me and Chris are getting on and we're getting gigs and people are interested in what we're doing. And we've got a label involved now and they're looking at us. And yeah, so it's not that, it's not that we don't want to play with other musicians. Cause we very, very much do. And we, we, when we get a chance to, we take it. We did a tour with James leg mm. and he played on a couple of songs in our set on keys, uh, you know, electric piano and an organ and oh, fucking hell. It just, if, if another member was to come in, it would be that it would be electric piano and keyboards. Mm. There's what James did on that tour for us. You know, there's, there's a bit of footage online. Uh, he played on a song called Neil at the altar. Mm. And, uh, it was just every time, every night he came on and did it with us. Oh, it, her standing up on the back of your neck, you know, yeah. hearing that sound. So we would like to play with other guys, but just from a, a practical, financial sort of position, just logistical. Logistical, yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're planning a we're planning a festival down in Kilkenny. Mm-hmm. in the south of ireland next month next month the month after i can't remember mm. and um uh, we used to have we used to have a van and all this stuff and but over covid sitting sitting in a fucking driveway for two years it's fuck yeah so it's away now so when we when we did that recent uk tour we went and rented a van it's just fine it's great but we know we would have had our own van beforehand and it's gone now mm. so going down to this festival is we have a big sort of car big massive car and so we just throw everything into it and go down Mm -hmm. rather than going rent in the van if there was another person couldn't do it yeah yeah you know
0: i really appreciated that you just went on your tour and I, i really appreciated how you handled it or how you know you were talking to your um fans yeah you know and just letting them know hey I'd love to hug you, but not this time. Right. <laughs> you know, that sort yeah. of attitude, just wanting to play it safe and be respectful yeah. of the whole pandemic, which has really affected all of us.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason that I did that video was, that, as I said in the video, it's not because of you tonight. It's for the guy tomorrow night. Exactly. Who hasn't mm. hasn't left the house in two years, hasn't been to a show in two fucking years.
2: Yeah.
1: And if I hug you tonight and get COVID, I can't play this show tomorrow night. And this guy's going home disappointed. He's not going out. Right. You know, and I, I wanted to do everything that we could do to make sure that didn't happen to us or and happen to him. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm not particularly worried about getting this. I don't want to talk about COVID. It's fucking awful thing. Oh, it is. You know, I'm not particularly worried about getting it. I'm a healthy guy you know by all accounts this strain isn't very right it's it's not like it was at the beginning right from, from from what i understand i don't i'm not a doctor i don't fucking know yeah so i'm not particularly worried for myself but i know how much it meant to our fans to come out and see us you know whenever people see us we, we, we played a gig there in leamington spa and one of the in england on the tour and one of the guys he was talking to us afterwards and at the merch and um we said, this is this is the this is this was spiritual you know mm-hmm. and although i would like to say it's because we are so fucking good we bring the spirit <laughs> of the universe up in everyone <laughs> the reality is these guys haven't seen a fucking show in two years. Right. And it was pent up. Yeah. And I it, it mean, now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it meant that the, the, yeah. the, the tour was like shooting fish in a fucking barrel. It really was.
0: But, <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> you know, but, but that was the, that was the thing, you know, so for someone to say that to you,
2: right.
1: you must understand and you must, go well okay this guy needed this yeah you could see it in his face he was i fucking you know i i I needed this absolutely yeah so all i have to do is take the basic few basic precautions and i get to come and play that show for that guy we get to play play that show for that guy and that guy gets to release two years of fucking bullshit yeah and maybe think okay, the world is maybe going back to normal or, or or maybe we've got a version of life that we can just live with. I'm sure you needed it too. Oh, yeah. It's funny you should say that. Over the course of the two years, uh, I had to go and get a job. Mm-hmm. A, a delivery, I am do doing delivery driving now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's part. It's only part-time. It's uh, like everybody else. Well, I w- obviously being a musician, I wasn't working from home. <laughs> there was no work to do. We did f- a few live streams and things like that. Yeah. And they were they were fine, but basically I got sort of financially stretched and put in a position where I had to just not Okay, I need to get a job here. No big deal. I'm not feel, not. I don't mean to say boo-hoo, Per me, yeah. I actually like it. I actually like it very much. It's it's a lot of fun. So I I, I got this job, and at the start of the tour, I, 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 me and Chris were sort of talking to each other, and I said, "Listen, I don't mean to sound melodramatic, but it was just before we we set off from Belfast, but this might be our last tour." Mm, yeah, because I didn't know, we don't know what's going to happen with this COVID shit, whether it's coming back, it's away forever, do it, do it, we don't know. Why? Really? And I literally can't afford to not do this job. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have walked away from anything to do a tour, anything. Mm. You know, any job, I know I'm going on tour, see you later, if you want me when I come back, yeah, that's great, if you don't, I understand it, so it's fine. But I was in a position where I couldn't make that Decision. Yeah. So Chris said he actually said he says i was afraid you were going to say that. I said you understand why. He says of course I understand why. I mean it's not that we wouldn't have played shows or recorded albums or done short weekenders or things like that. We would we, we, we you know we would have continued. But as we as we had been, I was thinking I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because mm-hmm. it means walking away from this job. Yeah. So we go on the tour, and I think by the third night. I was on the phone to my wife and I went, there's no fucking way I'm not doing this for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good. <laughs> real.
0: Yeah. I'm relieved to hear that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I, 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 we came off the tour. I, I said to Chris, I said, listen, this may be our last one. So make sure you have fun. Enjoy. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to just soak every second of it up. And you know, let's, let's go. And we did. And obviously, so there it was, it was a change of heart.
2: That's <laughs> yeah, good to hear that perseverance because you guys certainly weren't getting a lot of support from a lot of government officials either from everything we heard of people saying, well, you know, people just might not be able to do what they used to do. And, yeah, uh, right. you know, go get a new job. And it's, it's like a <laughs> motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It, you know, it's horrible. And how important it is, just how important the arts are to people. Yeah. I know it's shit on by so many if it's not a straight job, right? Well, see, well that's the thing, and
1: it, it, it is one of the things that is very, is very frustrating. Mm. I find is that most musicians, especially maybe once you start, you have an you have an idea about being a rock star. Mm-hmm. If, maybe you maybe you want to be Tommy Lee and a Manson, mm. but I don't think that lasts very long. Mm-hmm. I think that. A normal psyche would say, "Okay, I can see that this is more of a job. It's graft. It's hard. Right. It's really, really rewarding. But I don't know if I want to do it because it is hard, and it's, I'm not getting what I thought. Or I love this so much, I would nearly do it for free. Right? Yeah. And that's the at that point, that's the point where you're going. You, you're open to being taken advantage of by whatever record label society." governments, culture ministers, or whatever, it doesn't matter, club owners, Mm -hmm. you know, at that point. So that, because I'd been in enough bands before when I started the band, as I said, in the manifesto, such as, I didn't actually write a manifesto, it was just what I had in my head. You know, we're getting paid from day one. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you could be getting taken advantage of, and that tends to be what happens. Mm -hmm. But the sad truth is, most artists across the board, across the board, don't want a lot they want enough to do what they do I agree and the, the payoff for that is that you get to have culture mm mm-hmm. absolutely now that's a that's a fucking huge thing that's you you get to have culture yeah if, if society can figure it a way I'm not talking about giving you money for doing nothing let the guy work right like, pay him enough to get so that he can pay his bills and do the same normal things he doesn't need as much as you doesn't want as much as you I, I'm reminded of a quote from. I'm not given. I'm not one given to quoting Winston Churchill because he doesn't have a great. He doesn't have a great reputation here in Ireland. He did a whole sure. lot of horrible things mm. before mm-hmm. World War Two.
0: He's got World War um, II and that's really the only thing. He's got World War. He was the right
1: man. <laughs> he was the right man at the time. But yeah, uh, he says his ministers came to him uh, when during I think maybe w- when the Blitz of London was happening, and they were saying, "Listen, we need to." you know secure our finances we need to stop spending on this that and the other thing and one of the things was the arts mm. and he said he said well what are we fighting for then
2: mm.
0: i remember that
2: yeah Well, yeah, absolutely well it's just a, it's such a myopic view to think that you know a musician playing music is the only part of that job mm. i think i read a, a post of yours or a news post something about how you have to be you have to wear so many different hats you know It'd be an engineer carpenter luthier yeah uh, lighting technician, uh, you know, driver, yeah. all these things yeah. for yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a very, very multi-skilled job.
1: Absolutely. Playing your instrument and writing your songs is a part of what you do, mm-hmm. literally. And especially now in the days of social media, you've got to be a fucking marketing guy too. Yeah. That's, a, at the same time, a pain in the fucking ass. Yeah. But it's also a thing that you think back to the 90s, you didn't have access to that. You couldn't promote yourself. There yeah. was no version of this. So, at the same time, it's a pain in the ass. It's also a great gift. Sure. So, you have all these different hats to wear, as you say. And m- most people do it happily and they'll, they'll happily do it. And it's, it makes for a very interesting
0: existence. But you still have to be able to pay your fucking bills. Right? Absolutely. Do you find, like, as being like a Northern Irish band, that there's an extra challenge in getting people's attention? kind of like what we were just talking about before. I didn't know you guys existed yeah. until very recently. And I, John and I even had a conversation like, these guys have been around for how many years? Yeah, Holy shit. Yeah. Because you're amazing. Like, seriously, I, I've yet to find a song that I haven't liked. Yeah. Well, thank
1: you. Agree 100%. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's, that's great to hear. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, we do have issues with visibility. Let's call it that
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: there's no budget there for marketing or anything like that uh, you know it's just ourselves we just do what we can when we go on tours we throw some money at it but that's becoming you know you, you throw it at facebook turn do ads and things like that but it's becoming less and less effective as time goes on we're not doing that anymore yeah just because it's not effective not because we you know we're, we're, we're for that only for that reason it started when, when those things those platforms started you 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 put up a post and everyone saw it. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. And oh yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, and now it's become less and less it, it, it became less and less and less. They filtered it out and then they tempted you to take out an advert. Right. And at the start the adverts were very effective and they really worked. And you could literally see you could put two gigs on and you could put one gig with no marketing on Facebook and another gig with marketing on Facebook and you could literally watch the ticket sales go up on one and stay static on the other. Mm -hmm. so you know you could prove to yourself that this worked but over time that's become less and less Mm -hmm. because of whether for whatever reasons facebook has decided they don't show people your fucking posts and it's infuriating Mm -hmm. yeah so the visibility is a problem but early on we decided that um the 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 thing that we're going to do because of again the strategy or in the manifesto was we're going to gig we're going to gig as much as... And we're going to gig more than everybody else. Yeah. And we did and we do. We just gig, gig. We gig, but well, obviously not at the minute. Mm-hmm. Although it's all starting it's all starting to open up now. So we're starting to see our diary getting filled up a little. Mm-hmm. But um that was our strategy because we knew if we were going to be on a label, it was going to be a small indie yeah, or, or medium indie or whatever. There's not really going to be a marketing budget there. We're certainly not going to take out loans and things like that. So the best thing we can do is just play shows and get the fans to spread the word, and they
0: do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, we're definitely working on spreading the word on this side of the planet. Well, thank you. We shall do our best. You have any plans of ever touring this way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we we would love to. Um,
1: We're talking about it maybe next year. But we need to get a lot of shit sorted out. My my personal situation needs to sort of do a bit of a U turn. <clears throat> so I need to get o- I need to be able to get away from the job, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm actually going in next week to be to tell them that I can. I'm you know, I'm in part time at the minute, but I'm only going to be able to do part part time. Yeah, mm. uh, because the diary is filling up so much. As I said, I do like it. I, do, I don't mind it. It gets me out there, and it gives me it gives me time to think, and you know, and things like that. And I, and I don't mind it, but it's not be, being a musician. It's not gigging. Yeah, and writing. Right. And it's not the same. No, no, no. It's not the same. So I'm working on that. So yeah, I I, I would like to. I really would like to. Because again, it's a part of that. And and I don't know what what's the word. in my in my imagination and my child. The child lives in me that mm-hmm. lives in, that lives in us all going to play gigs in America is the that's the thing that's what you want to do mm. you know we have played we've played in Mississippi yeah uh, at, a, at a festival in uh, 2015 I think it was oh yeah and it was the high point I mean, the, the treat of my life yeah being obsessed with blues and all those fantastic stories and that was that amazing music and being able to go out to the crucible of where it all started yeah. You know, I, I, I was like a child. I literally was like a child. I would walk down, a, you know, a street in Clarksdale and see the name of the street and remember, oh, yeah. Jesus, that's from that song. <laughs> and it just fucking, you know, it freaked me out. I loved it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know?
2: Did you get a chance to spend much time in Memphis? Uh, no, we
1: didn't. It was um, Clarksdale and Tupelo. Yeah. We just sort of fl- flew in and out of Memphis, really. Still all,
2: all cool places. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah. We, we grew up in uh, southern Missouri, uh, Matt and I did, so Memphis was, what, about three hours away or so? What was that all? Yeah, something like that. Oh, wow. You used to get down
0: there quite a bit. Yeah, I've been on a long time. Yeah, it's a lot farther from Kansas City. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just went through last year. Uh, it's fun to, to drive here. I, we went to Florida uh, on a little mini vacation. Yeah see the family and uh it's it's cool to drive here from like columbia missouri you go through st louis you go through the delta yeah you go through georgia or you know the edge of alabama and you just, you're just you basically hitting that highway wow of the history of the blues you know
1: yeah
2: uh transverse that's what i try to tell my kid in the way in the car anyway she was nonplussed and, uh, <laughs> couldn't give a shit but <laughs> like, seeing the cotton fields you know and, and all that yeah. stuff on the on the trip down and then in the swamps and bayous. yeah it's it's cool yeah. it gives me chills every time i get down that way that's great yeah
1: love that area i, I was i was definitely um we signed our contract with with a live for our, our third album mm-hmm. uh in in clark steel uh so we'd been just been talking with patrick from from a record. Right? he said you know you want to put a record out yeah, yeah we'd love to it was what we wanted mm. so we said yeah yeah that'd be great he said, have you signed the contract yet? So you need to get that across to me. Cause everything was, everything was happening. Mm. We'd, we, we don't, we'd sent the album off to him and they were, it's going to the pressing plant, but we hadn't signed the contract. And I said, no, 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 we're, we're going to sign it. We just want to do it in Clark We want to, <laughs> you know, yeah. I want to go to Robert Johnson's crossroads, You're right? you know, and sign it there, Patrick's a French guy. So he was unimpressed and he, he said, that's,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fine. Uh-huh. So we, we landed in Memphis. We drive to Holly Springs where they had, um, the benefactors ball, what they call okay. uh, uh, the night before the festival proper. And we played in junior Kimber's Duke joint. We, we only arrived at, at midnight and we, we played and it was, a, it was such a cool fucking thing. We walked in and somebody shouts, Hey, there's the fucking Bonnevilles. Oh, wow. It's I'm like, how the, how does anybody know us? You know, it was, it was <laughs> such a treat. I'm like, Oh, okay. It was it was just awesome. So the next day we're using the sat nav and we drive down to Clarksdale mm. and we're going out to the hotel where the festival is. And <laughs> I'm telling my wife, who's and, and Chris's wife, Shelley, and I'm telling them, but like, no, J- Robert Johnson's Crossroads isn't where As saying, sold the soul to the devil, apparently. And, <laughs> and we're saying, and, and, and we're pulled up at this junction, <laughs> and she goes. Is is that it? <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's just like a fucking.
2: Yeah.
1: I thought it was going to be some I I, I thought I was going to see fireworks, or so there was going to be people there, and it was going. It was going to be a small little thing, out nothing. Yeah, and it was just this. This no, this is it. This is the fucking. It's just a big cross, literally a crossroads. But it's like, yeah, you know. A truck stop on a petrol
0: station.
1: <laughs> 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 I, yeah, I was like, I've "Holy shit, this is it!" <laughs> so, but so we did. We we got out and. We went and did it over there and it was, it was, it was a treat. I can't say it was a spiritual moment. It was sort of, it was a little bit more um, industrial than I was expecting, but
2: Mm -hmm. it was a treat nonetheless. You were like, where's the field and the old tree and the. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Where's the
1: old man sitting on a bench, you know? (laughs) These roads are paved.
2: (laughs) What?
0: <laughs> I, thinking,
1: I, thought I, I thought I was going to have to go into like the Blues Museum and say, right, where's Robert Johnson's Crossroads? You know, I'm going to get <laughs> me a map
2: and I'm going to have to, you know. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Oh, I do have to ask you. I was asked by a friend who uh, also plays guitar and uh, uh. be remiss if I didn't. Uh, hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Kyle, Kelly. Speaking of people that turn people on to other people. Yeah, they turned us on to you. Yep. Yeah.
1: Well done, Kyle. Thank you.
2: Yeah, Kyle's a, a great guitar player, but he's a go. You know, you've got to ask him how he got that tone for, uh, you know, no law and Lurgan. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I'm sure you've got to fill in. I mean, you've got, with having the two piece, you've got to fill in the bass, you've got to fill in the low. Yeah. But he's really curious as to your gear setup for that.
1: Well, I, the, the, the amp, I, I use two amps. Mm-hmm. So I use like a, a PV Classic 50 watt combo, 2x12. Mm-hmm. Real sort of a workhorse of an amp. Mm hmm. It's got it's, it's speaker swapped out. It's got Celestian Greenbacks in there. Okay, and then then uh, I can use it to sort of go f- to the the high end of things, uh, the high end of the of, of the tone. But the other amp I use, which is the real deal, it's a thing called a Kelly. Okay, and it's like nineteen sixty seven. I'm going to say, and it's based on a Selmer traveling bass. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those heads from the 60s that were built in London. Uh-huh. So, this guy, it was a guy called John Kelly. He's living in London uh, he, he, and he's working at the Selmer plant and he decides to sort of set up his own thing. Okay. And he built these Kelly amps and they were absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And very high end boutique. You, we'll call them now boutique, but that's what they were at the time. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Mm hmm
1: but he didn't, he he was just sort of building them out of his shed in the the garden and uh, I don't know, nobody knows how many he built, Mm. but he's got a little sort of obsessive fan group of a few people in the world that know about these amps. Mm. So, Basically, i i used to I used to have a guitar store in town. Uh, oh yeah, selling musical instruments. Again, as i mentioned earlier on, I'm a terrible businessman, so I quickly <laughs> fucking ended up thousands of pounds in debt. And I would, I would give things away, and it was just I was just awful. <laughs> this there was one of these back in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, I suppose. You used to have in Ireland, you would have a scene called the show bands. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. They were cover bands, musicians, and they would tour and they would play church halls and things in local venues. And, but they were really fucking good and they, they became sort of their own phenomenon here in Ireland. Huh? And they would have horn sections and all this stuff. They were, they were really, really good. But one of these, there was a guy in the town called Winston and he, he was an old guy and he's a bass player. And he came into my shop and he, we, 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 we got, became friends and, and he would bring me a bass of his, from his collection. He said, check this out, and it would be a Fender or something or other, or a Rickenback or something or other, and or some custom thing, and mm-hmm. he brought in, he said, I'll bring you in my favorite next time. I said, that will do. So he, he comes in, I can't even remember what it was, or some through neck thing, Ibanez or something, I can't remember, uh-huh. and... He says, plug it in there. And the only thing I had in the store at the time was a little sort of like 15 watt practice amp. I'd sold whatever it was that I had before. And he went, that's shit. (laughs) He says, you can't play this through that. I says, well, it's all I (laughs) have. I'm sorry, Winston. That's all I fucking have. (laughs) He he says, no, no, no. He says, I'll be back. So he comes back 20 minutes later and he walks into the shop with this piece of shit head. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the case that was the piece of shit. Mm. It was just made up of bits of plywood nailed together very badly. Mm -hmm. But the amp itself was the Kelly. Ah. And he plugged the bass into it and started, and and I was like, and he said, what do you think of the bass? I said, yeah, it's great. Tell me about this amp. Mm -hmm. So he started to talk to me about the amp, and he said, do you like that? I went, yeah, yeah. Now, this guy's about 75. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, yeah, I really do, Winston. I like it very much. And he says, I didn't think you young people were into valve amps and all. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it, the same thing happened in America, but there was an awful trend here when everything went, started to go digital. Yeah. And Valve stuff get fucking just threw in bins. You know, recording studios were throwing stuff in skips mm-hmm. just, you know, to replace it with the latest. And now they were the clamor to get those back. Right. So he thought that that sort of attitude still prevailed, which, you know, it didn't last very long, thank God. But uh, I said, no, 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 I really like that, Winston. He says, listen, it's only... In my attic. Do you want it? Mm-hmm. I went, Well, yeah, I would I would I would like to buy it from you. Mm. And he said, just take it. I went, No. Oh, wow. Let, let me buy it. I really want to buy it from you. And he went, Okay. He says, Give me 50 pounds. It was about 60 dollars or something like that. <laughs> I went, mm. I said, listen, Winston, I will give you 50 dollars or 50 pounds all day long. But I'm telling you now, I am robbing you, giving you $50 for this. And he went, no, take it. He says, "I know that you'll treat it right. You'll give it a good life." Mm. I went, okay. So I was going out to rehearsal that night with, and now I was in this other band with this guy Tommy. Mm. This is before the Bonnevilles. Mm-hmm. And I phoned Tommy. He says, "I got this fucking fuck, mm. <laughs> And He says, "Right, let's go." So we, we went out and plugged it into a Marshall four, uh, a Marshall uh, cabinet, four x twelve. Mm holy shit, <laughs> just, <laughs> it was just the growl that I wanted, that I dreamed about. I went, this is it. <clears throat> so that so the, that amp, I used it for years, and then it got into, um, I used to, whenever we go on tour, uh, I would carry it as my hand luggage mm-hmm. on the plane. Mm. And then we were getting a flight to, to do a couple of one-night stands in Portugal mm. from Dublin, and the, the Stewardess, I was having a bad fucking day obviously mm-hmm. he said that i wasn't allowed or that the stewardess the the, the, the check-in girl, mm-hmm. said i wasn't allowed to bring it on the plane as handled it had to go in the hold i said this is a 50 year old amp yeah. it is very valuable to me I, and he, no yeah he says well you're not getting on the plane mm-hmm. so it went into the baggage hold mm-hmm. and it I was the worst flight of my life we got to the other side we, we landed in lisbon in portugal and we went to that carousel, and it just came crashing down through the carousel. Uh, <sighs> shit! Yeah, um, there was no visible damage, but we, we went to the, the the venue, did our sound check. Uh-huh. Uh, we we were at this, you know. I, I plug it in and I turn it on and it fires up, and we're like, okay, we think we're this seems to be might have gotten away with us. Uh-huh. So we do our sound check and a guy comes in and he says "Right hey guys there's food for you and he says okay I will come now and we walk off the stage and the DJ in the club he looks at me and he goes eh, he says something in Portuguese and I look around and the amp is on fire on the stage wow fuck yeah it's a fucking nightmare so I brought it home brought it to an engineer who didn't know what he was doing it worked okay for a few months it blew again didn't go on fire <clears throat> brought it to another engineer he fixed it. It lasted a bit. It was better. Still wasn't right. Still never sounded as good. Yeah. Each time I'm bringing it to these engineers, it's two, three hundred pounds, and mm-hmm. it, it's adding up. Yeah. And at this point, I was into this thing for like two or three grand, yeah. just getting it fixed, knowing that <laughs> so it,
0: you have paid for it. Yeah. I,
1: so I have paid for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going. I, so I'm going. I can't afford to keep throwing. This money at this thing. Mm. So someone says to me, "Bring it to." There's a guy in Belfast called Leaf, but He's a Canadian Irish guy. He was uh, Leonard Cohen's tech guy. Oh, really? When he was turned, yeah. Mm. And uh, when you know when he came back after he lost all his money, mm-hmm. it was it was it was Leaf that went out with him. And so he's from Belfast here. Huh. So I brought it up to him, and I tried. The, the weird thing is, I actually tried to bring it to him when it first broke Mm
0: -hmm.
1: after the Portuguese trip Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find his fucking house (laughs) right Right. so uh, I couldn't he lives he he was living in a different place at the time and I had to go out there it was was about an hour from my home but I couldn't find his place so I went fuck it and I turned around and went home brought it to somebody else hence two three grand later Leaf then opens up an actual business studio uh, or workshop in Belfast called the Rock and Roll Workshop Mm -hmm. and i bring it to him and he loves odd things yeah and he sees you coming and he goes "Ooh, what have you brought me (laughs) and and, uh, he's got this weird sort of fucked up hybrid belfast canadian accent going on it's great Mm. he says well here you go and i tell him the thing and he goes oh he says do you have any schematics i said i have a schematic i'll send it to you so i send him the schematic and Phone him up the next day. I said, Well, what do you think? He says, This schematic has absolutely no resemblance to what's actually in this box. So, <laughs> so it's practically useless. He says, But I think I've figured it out. I went, Right, okay. I says, How much is this going to cost me? Mm. He says, It's going to cost about five hundred pounds. And I went, he's he okay. And he says, this is, it. this is it. This is, it. I can't, <laughs> I, will, it's gonna work. I will, I will do this. This is the last time. If this doesn't work, um, this amp was for the bin and I did it and it's been working ever since. Wow. Thank God. And he did a great job. I bring it up to him every uh, twice a year or whatever. And he awesome. just get, gives it a, a bit of a tickle and dusts everything off and replaces what needs replaced, which isn't much, which is great. So to answer your question, it's a really long answer to a short question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great story. Thank you. So we go into record. Uh, we're in recording uh, the third album, Our appears Pierce My Heart, so no law and mm. So I'm in there and the guy, Mike, who is our the guy that we, who records our albums now, mm. he's got this drawer full of bits and I go into it. And in it is a Maestro Fuzz, an original one. Oh, really? Mm. That is literally, he doesn't even know if it works. Oh. It's never been used. He says, he's I can't actually remember anybody using that." I said, does it work? He says, I don't know. Said, I said, where did you get it? He says, oh, fuck it. I can't remember. So I pull this fuzz out and it is a really old basic one. It's like... I don't know what model, but I mean the second model or the third model. It's really, really early, mm-hmm. and it's got no battery. Snap, on we, uh, we cover. We so we put the battery. It's been modded to take a battery. Mm. We put a battery on it, and it's just got this fucking growl of a tone. Yeah, it's just that. It's it's so it's that so it's that amp and that pedal. Okay, together. Uh, I think we put a little bit of. Uh, we started on a, like a blues driver. Mm-hmm. So the, it starts into the blues driver and then it goes into the, but the fuzz pedal gives the big gain kick yeah. into the Kelly amp. So
2: that's the answer to the question. Wow! <laughs> so Kyle, it's that easy. Just get a Kelly <laughs> amp, take it to Portugal, set it on fire. No problem. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle is a huge gearhead.
0: He's going to be looking and looking. (laughs) I know. know. I'll I'll contact
1: Mike and see if I can get a photograph of that thing. I might have a photograph of it. I'm sure I must have. Oh, cool. Yeah. And if if I get one, I'll send it on to you. You can send it to Kyle. Right on. Right
2: on. He's going to appreciate that story. For sure. That's a good one. (laughs) So, what else you guys got going on in the works? Uh, Just um,
1: glad to say that there's gigs coming in now. Yeah. So April's booked up, and May is looking good, and June's looking good, and we've a tour, a Scandinavian tour, booked for October. Nice. We're currently rebooking a European tour that we cancelled. It was supposed to go off in March, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I don't know how things went down in America, but but we went from COVID red alert to fucking it's gone. Yep. Almost overnight. Yeah, It felt like that, and again, my again, you know, my situation with the job, I, I just before Christmas, I said, Chris, I, I, I can't commit to this tour in March, and it's a real fucking shame, because it was a great tour, three weeks, and a lot of work had gone into getting it booked, and I, I can't walk away from this job. I, my employer's not going to say, yeah, it's okay for you to go on some adventure in Europe for three weeks, and then come back at your leisure. <laughs> right. So... I had to make a decision just before Christmas, but it turned out we could have fucking done it. And, uh, you know, uh, but it's okay. And I was, I was a bit concerned that the guy that booked it would sort of fall out with us, but he didn't at all. He was really great. He was very gracious. And he just said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I understand. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's actually contacted us. He says, can I rebook this? Can we get going with this? And so that's happening. Don't know when, um, we've got, I'm writing for the for a new album. Oh yeah. So, we've got a lot of tracks. It's very early. It'll be a long while before they're done. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of tracks good to go or in various stages of completion. Mm -hmm. Mm, I'm I'm doing some solo writing stuff for various little projects. I'm writing for some songs for a a whiskey brand in Dublin (laughs) for an online online campaign. All right. Yeah, it's really cool. It's called Liberty's Whiskey. They they came to me last year, I think, and Lockdown, he said, uh, a guy called Darren. And he said, he said uh, to you, Andy, do you have any Bonneville's tracks lying about that you don't use or didn't make it onto an album or anything we could use for this campaign? And hmm? I says, no, no, I don't, we don't. I says, what is it? And he told me what he wanted. And I said, I could, you know, it's in the middle of lockdown. I have no money. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I, I have a studio. I have a studio in my, in, my, in my the back of my in my garden. I built the studio. Mm-hmm. I says, D- do you want me to write you something? And he went, yeah. Yeah. He, I, I can't remember. He gave me, Five hundred, six hundred pounds or something like that. Yeah. He says, "There's the budget." He says, "If you want it, it's yours." He says, "What do you?" Need? He says, "Give me a," he says, "Give me a minute of music, something sexy and bonnevilles and bluesy and dark." I went, oh, "That's easy." Yeah. So I did it. It comes back to me a few weeks later, and he says, "Listen, everybody loves the music." And it sparked a whole campaign, so we're going to go along with us. So do give us another four of those. <laughs> another, f- so I'm, I'm, I'm writing for that as and, and the budget and there's more money, and so I've got that going, and I'm, huh. yeah, so yeah. Right on. starting to get work in, which is great and uh, really really happy and privileged and the thing i'll say about this is going into the whole lockdown situation again i don't know what your experience of it was in america how that go- went for you but it sucked yeah <laughs> i enjoyed it at the start yeah. because we had a really nice summer <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and we got, okay. and got to hang out with my kids and my wife and we all just lay about and every day were just drinking all the time and right. you know it, but I, that quickly lost its shine and then, and then Two years into that shit, and you're like, "Oh, this is this is fucking terrible." Right. The the thing that I've taken from it is getting back out into the world has given me a reinvigorated thirst, sure, to do more of this. Mm. You know, we, we, when it's taken from you so easily, yeah, you, real, you, you realize, you no, 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 no we, I'm, I'm going, I'm going hard
0: into this now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you didn't sell them. Uh, I don't like whiskey. <laughs> Isn't that one of your tracks? It, it is. <laughs> well, that,
1: that, again that 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 song is um people think I don't like whiskey. Mm-hmm. No, the 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 record uh, the the whiskey brand definitely didn't want that one, but um <laughs> but that song's actually it's sort of a little bit of a tribute to Robert Johnson. Oh, okay. You, you know cuz he died from poisoned whiskey mm. according to the stories and so is it all and it, I I can't remember the lyrics off the top of my head, but that's sort of what that is, is a tribute to him. So people think I don't like whiskey. I actually am very fond of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is that whiskey doesn't seem to like me very much. Right. <laughs> and that's, again, another song. We have the whiskey lingers. Yeah. So that it's a trite little thing that is the gateway into a bigger song. Mm-hmm. But the whiskey lingers is for me. I, if I drink whiskey, I still feel drunk the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: that's, that's what that is, you know. you right. We'll have to try uh, Liberty whiskey sometime. Sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah, twist my arm. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah.
1: It, I can assure you, it is very fucking nice. It's great whenever you get. Uh, we've got. Uh, this is now the third whiskey whiskey brand that has sponsored us, <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, and they're all they're all boutique and um, very lovely. Expensive whiskeys, and we've had we've had uh, uh, Sailor Jerry's rum mm-hmm.
0: has sponsored us. Oh yeah, I like the
1: rum actually. Yeah, I, I I like it very much myself. <laughs> huh? uh, and the Kraken rum. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, I've got some at Bible bar right now. It's gorgeous.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, so Kraken rum, Sailor Jerry's rum, Dead Rabbit whiskey, Liberty's whiskey, and there was another whiskey I can't remember the name of it right now. You know, it's just just sort of social media shit you know can we send you some yeah can we send you some whiskey mm-hmm. sure. like,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way any of those distillers if you'd like to sponsor determine the podcast by sending us i'm so <laughs> <laughs> fucking literally we're highly interested yeah just let us know we'll work for a booze <laughs> well, <For sure. laughs> that's a
0: t-shirt right there <laughs> you guys have some great t-shirts by the way you guys oh, yeah. merch in cool general. Merch. Yeah. talk about making some money right where can people get some of your merch yeah yeah okay um our website yeah obviously yeah uh,
1: so what that's the uh, uk. so if you go there there's a web store there and we you know we've got lots of t-shirts and records mm-hmm. and Few cds things like that and um we do a lot of t-shirts it's great actually uh, again it's one of the things i remember back in belfast in the in this sort of early noughties and mid-noughties mm-hmm. a lot of the de- the detroit garage bands were coming over you know the white stripes and yeah. the Sights and uh uh, the Dirt Bombs and the Detroit Cobras and mm-hmm. all these bands. And they were very highly influential to me at the time. The Von Bondies, I love the Von Bondys. I the Von Bondys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I remember there, there was a venue up in Belfast called Aunt Annie's. I remember going in there to see the sights. And it's a weird thing. We still had the hangover from the Troubles, from the war thing. Mm-hmm. So we, we sort of were doing our own little wee weird thing that wasn't really very it wasn't really working with the way that we conducted ourselves with our business. Let me say that. No. I don't mean me personally. I mean, us as a people, we're, you know, the bands that were going out. Mm-hmm. So we didn't do merch and we didn't do records and CDs. And we, you know, we didn't really, but I remember going to this gig and there was the Von Bondi sitting on the door. Oh, mm-hmm. selling their own merch and this blew my fucking mind because <laughs> their first album uh, lack of communication it's called mm-hmm. i adore still adore that record so this band to me were stars and there they were they were taking turns it was four of them you could tell and they were they would do a bit on the merch and then one would go and then one would come back and the lead singer the, the star of the band and he would go and do the merch for a bit huh. and then i saw the sights in the same venue, seen them twice. And it was in a band called Perline and, um, uh, the Soledad brothers and bands like that. Mm. And they were all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I went, maybe these guys are onto something. Maybe we should be doing this. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so when I started our band with our first, our, our first fee, uh, it was 200, we took 200 quid mm-hmm. and I took my fee of it. I give a hundred pound to the drummer. It wasn't Chris, the first band gig we ever played Mm -hmm. as the Bonnevilles. Chris wasn't the drummer. I give him a hundred quid or less Mm -hmm. fuel money. Right. And I took my hundred quid and I went and got 10, 15 t-shirts screen printed Mm. from the first show. So just right from the very start, it was always a very important part of our, our business, I suppose. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. Cool
0: looking stuff. Sure. Yeah. I definitely would like to get some, do you have any like distribution in the U S you got a good band camp. Uh.
1: Oh, there's a band camp. Yeah, we have that as well. We we do our shipping to America. We do our shipping all over the world, so it's fine. You know, the only thing is the actual shipping prices on the store. It's sometimes it can be
0: it can be very off. Yeah, yeah, it slowed me down there. I we have a lot of friends um, in the UK and Ireland, and I want to order stuff all the time, and no, that shipping is just killer. Yeah, fuck. It's more than the fucking merch sometimes. Yeah, we wear the same. Like
1: uh, we, we go on to, uh you know Alive Records, our our record label. Uh, yeah, if so, if, if anybody wants to buy any of our records, obviously Alive Records are based in LA. Okay. So if you're in the US, if you're in the US, you can you can buy direct from those guys. Okay. And it won't. It won't. But if you're if any things like t-shirts and stuff, we do that direct ourselves.
2: Any other questions you want to cover, man, or anything?
0: Yeah. Wow, man, I think we I've had a good time. I am too. <laughs> I think it's great. Seriously, yeah. and is it Andy Andrew? I don't even know. Oh,
1: Andy's Andy's fine. My my stage my stage name is Andrew. Okay, <laughs> but Andy
0: is great. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. We really appreciate you coming on, man. And yeah. seriously, like, been one of the best experiences I've had musically in a while. Just oh, a really, just yeah. You've been my right. dishwashing music, and that's a compliment. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't discover you sooner.
2: Um,
1: ah, well, we got there in the end. That's good. Yeah, delighted. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you guys. Um, I hope you know we, we'd be able to meet in person at some point in the
2: future. Ah, I'd love it. That'd be great. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to Undetermined the Podcast. Special guest Andrew McGibbon, the Bonnevilles. Check them out. Yeah, badass band. You're 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 gonna dig it for sure. Everybody, have a great week. Andrew, thank you again. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome, guys, and take care, everybody.
0: Bye-bye.